0: This is the Culture Matters Podcast. Hello, Culture Matters Podcast. Today, I have a very exciting guest, someone that very much is interested in culture, and I'm excited to introduce them in a moment. But before we get started, I want to share with you a quote, I believe embodies why we have these conversations and a little bit of what Culture Matters is about. Here we go. Anyone who wants to know the human psyche will learn next to nothing. From experimental psychology. He would be better advised to abandon exact science, put away his scholars' gown, bid farewell to his study, and wander with human heart through the world. There, in the horrors of prisons, lunatic asylums, and hospitals, and drab suburban pubs, in brothels and gambling halls, in the salons of the elegant, the stock exchanges, socialist meetings, churches, revivalist gatherings, and ecstatic sects, through love and hate, through the experience of passion in every form in his own body he would reap richer stores of knowledge than textbooks a foot thick could give him and he will know how to doctor the sick with a real knowledge of the human soul carl gustav young we believe in culture matters when people read to think write to develop listen to hear what is unsaid and speak to let go they develop more value for themselves and others So our purpose today is to help uncover the genius of our guests to make curiosity cool for you. So I'm very excited to introduce Ali Bassman, today currently the head of talent at Saxby's and with an extraordinary career as studying economics, management, the focus of organizational development at Wharton Business School, a prestigious school of brilliant, brilliant people. Worked at KPMG, one of the most renowned accounting and consulting firms in the world, and had the pleasure of working at a national healthcare, Independence Blue Cross, but decided to work for a company that it seems is focused on social impact, focused, of course, on their products, which is coffee and experience, but focused on innovating and doing things a bit differently. So I'm very excited to introduce Ali Bassman from Saxby's. Thank you.
1: Hi Jay. Thanks for having me. Set the bar kinda high.
0: <laughs> you have. <laughs> everyone here gets to learn from you and, and and by the way, I in preparation for this today, I found a, a research paper that you did in school on your LinkedIn and I oh read it. Oh god Very That's awesome.
1: embarrassing. <laughs> embarrassing <laughs> I should awesome probably take one. that down eventually.
0: <laughs> yeah, everyone No one read really
1: reads that stuff, I thought, but I guess not.
0: Well, here at Culture Matters, we definitely are interested in learning about people and culture. So, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. When you were in school and you were studying business, uh, you know, the whole, whole world is ahead of you. At that point, you, you could do just about anything. What drove you to get interested in the people side of business or, 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 or you know, have that focus in organizational development?
1: Yeah. So, great question. Um, I went to school, obviously, at Wharton, undergrad, went with a bunch of accounting and finance majors, and some of the most competitive students I'd ever been exposed to. Um, My parents were both very into the business world. My dad was a lawyer, a politician. My mom was an accountant. Very much business centered in, in multiple ways, but I went to school and told my parents when I got into Wharton that I wanted to do event planning, and they told me, hell no, can't spend that much money doing event planning at a prestigious business school, and I said that I'm just not the typical Wharton student. I actually like people. I like talking to them. I'm very collaborative. I like working with people. I don't really think there's a major for me, um, and actually struggled my first two years of Wharton, wow. which not many people admit to, but I do, um, went on academic probation, um, nearly failed out, actually didn't really find any of the classes I was supposed to be taking, actually had to take for the core, um, interesting, nor was I really great at them. Also Wharton's support at the time wasn't fantastic outside of, you know, one fantastic advisor I had that really kept me motivated but the the culture at Wharton was very much competitive kind of year in or year out, they specifically have courses at the time that were built to lead people out and I wasn't I was one of those people that took time on tasks that liked to work on group projects, wanted to work in group studies, and there was a lot of students that didn't feel that way. So after I finished my first two years and had to start thinking about declaring, I went to my advisor's office and said, "Okay, I, I survived what was called the Wharton Core. I, you know, don't really know what I love after that. You know, what should I do?" And Adam Grant, um, who now obviously is world renowned at the time was not um, had not even written Give and Take. He was writing Give and Take during my class. Actually, he said, "You know, this new professor is teaching this class called Organizational Behavior. You should go and sit in on it and see about it." And I was like, no, "All right, why not?" So I sat on Adam Grant's floor. It was over, um, it was over admitted and they actually were still in the ad drop. And I sat on his floor in the first day of class. And the very first thing he said was that if you pay attention to your people, everything else will come in business. If you take care of them, you make sure that they're okay. You make sure they're engaged and motivated and bought into what you're doing. Then the finances, the success of any business will happen guaranteed. And my mouth sort of fell to the ground. And I was like, oh, this is the part of business that I've been missing. Um, Now, I'll date myself. I was in his class. I graduated board in 2012. I was in his class 2010. And at the time, no one talked about this. No one spoke about people and culture and no one was doing what you're doing or what anyone else is doing because finance, accounting, profit and loss statements that's all that mattered. Um, So I sat on his floor for about two weeks until he finally got permission to add on five more students that refused to leave. And I was one of them. And I, I took his class and that was kind of the start of my passion for people and business and career and continued, you know, following him, wor- wrote my research paper with his um, counterpart, Segal Barsade, who had actually brought him in and had exposed him to Wharton. And he, actually, I think she brought him in, I could be wrong on that, but they had been co- counterparts for a while and um, had met. Adam Grant Thrusigal and had written my research paper and studied under her and then kept Adam as a mentor and throughout my last two years of school would visit him frequently. My final semester said, okay, I, grad- I did this, now what? And um, still to this day, I keep in touch with him. I'm, you know, somewhat of a groupie, some would say, and love reading his books and following along his career and continued success because he really does deserve everything, every accolade he's gotten um, and everything he's done. So that was the start of it. Um, I definitely went against the grain at Wharton and still in my career. I would say I'm pretty much a, not a disruptor, but I do like to challenge the status quo sometimes. And that was my first time really doing it.
0: Wow. So b- before that class, you were, you were struggling with the curriculum because some, so whether it was consciously or unconsciously or a bit of both, it sounds like the, you were drawn to the people side of it and you wanted to create your career around the social aspects of business, but there was nothing there for you.
1: Not at the time. So the Wharton Corps, um, again, things have changed dramatically at Wharton and have been much better and and more um, focused on people, more focused on students, which is great. Um, But at the time, it was two finance classes, two accounting classes, two stat classes, um, a marketing class, a management class, two um, information science classes. Like, there was one to two classes that were centered around management of people, and that was management one-on--one, which I love, management 100, which I loved, um, and our marketing class, which was more focused on marketing. So there weren't really any core required classes which wow. you have to complete all of those classes in the first two years around culture, people, organizational dynamics, any of that at the time. Um, since then they've added many classes that have been required and also do not, you know, have as rigorous of the core completion. Um, but when I was there, you had to complete the Wharton core within the first two years and then you figure out, okay, I've taken the core. Now I want to do this. I want to focus in finance. I want to focus in accounting. Um, and I didn't really have that opportunity and that's kind of thank God to my advisor who I attribute so much of my success to, um, for not only pulling me over the finish line of college, but also for finding Adam Grant, he was the one that was able to say, you know, let's try something different to get outside of your comfort zone or get outside the Wharton comfort zone and see if you like this.
0: At that time, like even prior to taking Adam's class and getting in, inculcated on the people side of it, did you have a belief that the people aspect to a business was was more relevant than than it was really accepted at the time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, it- so my mom is, yeah, so my mom's an entrepreneur. Um, she started her own accounting firm after, you know, much ups and downs in her career um, and actually started her own accounting firm. I'll be, I'll date myself now, I'll be 30 this year. Her firm will be 30 in 2020. Um, so she started her firm with three people and grew it to now what is almost 100 people, a small boutique account, I guess not small anymore, but a small t- a boutique accounting and tax firm. And one thing that I remember growing up is that she didn't just teach accounting and tax. She taught how to care about her people. She cared so much about that. You know, she wasn't just about billable hours. She was about engagement and motivation of her team and was successful with it. And I watched her grow her company as a child and teenager and young adult at the time. So I started to see that it was not, she wasn't the typical accounting CEO and definitely thought that there was more there. But then again, no one really talked about it. So you didn't know what that more was. You didn't know Mm -hmm. if it was a secret sauce or kind of like a I don't know, some sort of like, oh, over time when you're in your career, this kind of happens. Um, and I was in high school and they didn't teach you any of this. So it was kind of figuring it out on your own. Um, but I had the support of my mom to say those no, things are, are different if you, you know, also take care of your people. But, you know, you're 18 and your mom's telling you that's possible. You're like, ah, well, let's see. And so it took us some time. But I had the support of her and I saw definitely a glimmer of something different in what she was doing. Just didn't know what exactly that difference was was. Um, And she's still successful today, Um, actually helped her hire her chief people person at her company. I forget his exact title this last summer, um, helped her read through resumes, kind of talked through and on the side of kind of guided her on some things that she could be doing at her company to continuously develop her people. Um, Similarly, some things that we're doing at Taxis pretty successfully.
0: So, so in the beginning of your career, even before there was even systems or procedures to educate an individual on the people side of it, on the social side of it. You had an inclination to think about these things mattering because of your relationship with your mother and her. Yeah.
1: I think your family has a huge, you know, can, can play a part in that. I don't think it's the be all end all. Um, I think she gave me that guidance. She's, you know, my whole rock, my world. And then I got to Wharton and I found, I found the path of support, that would help me continue down that goal or passion of mine. Um, Because after I took Adam's class, it wasn't easier, which some people are like, oh, you found what you wanted to do. Um, The way that Wharton does it is you focus or you um, concentrate in one of the bigger concentrations, management, marketing, finance, accounting. Um, Now there's way more. At the time, there were kind of only a couple And then inside of that, it's kind of like your major, you only need four credits, which a credit a class is how it was at Wharton at the time. And so you only had to take four classes, but you had 300 classes to prove from, to choose from, to get that concentration. And so they do a great thing, which is organize it and say, you can focus it. So I said, okay, management with a focus in organizational behavior. And by doing that, they list out, you know, five or six classes and ways to get that major and minor essentially, or that concentration and focus. And then you can go about your day and you can register for those classes and you can graduate with that. When I was in school and took that class, I said, okay, this is what I want to do. Went to register for the other classes to get the focus and they were all canceled because no one would register for them because no one talked about their people. No one talked about culture. No one wanted to do that. So I was hit with another roadblock, which was, okay, I can't take... The team dynamics classes, I can't take the leadership classes that, thank God, now are widely popular at Wharton and are not canceled, um, which is great to hear, but I didn't have that option. So that's where I, you know, went to Saugol and said, hey, I need to, I need some credits, can you help me? Did my research paper, did, you know, all of these research things with her and was able to kind of hodgepodge that focus with independent studies, my research paper, um, a consulting project that counted as well as, um, kind of getting some permission to add some negotiation classes into that that weren't approved before. So it didn't get easier once I found Adam Grant, the, the journey of organizational behavior continued. Um, and, and still almost not till this day, but until I got to Saksies, my career was very much kind of fighting against the grain and saying, okay, we got to figure out our people and we got to keep pushing that forward. And I think that's where, yes, my, my family, my mother, you know, Adam, my advisor, all mentors and people that also believed in that. And it was a small group at the time really helped me continue going forward down a passion of mine, which I'm very grateful for now.
0: Well, so yeah, I was going to ask, did that help shape who you become now and would you have done it a different way? Or do you see that having to be in it innovative, I, I guess in, the, in in, putting your curriculum together, it seems like you were doing. Yeah. Like
1: so I would,
0: very, you interviewed people at companies at all different levels it's very it was very in-depth yeah. and well done
1: yeah i i um i would never change it i would um now if you asked me when i was a junior in college i would say oh yeah maybe i'd like to go to a school that was focused on this um but i wouldn't change it my path um Taught me a lot about myself, and taught me a lot about, ironically, grit um, and what Angela Duckworth's doing, obviously, and showed me that if you find your passion and you persevere through it, you will be more successful and happy, and and more, you know, at at peace with yourself. So I never, quote unquote, sold my soul to the finance world. I never did i banking. Um, I never did any of that kind of crazy lifestyle. I didn't want that. Um, I wasn't passionate about it. But it also didn't mean that it was any easier because I didn't take the 24-hour job cycle on Wall Street. I still had to fight and, and work really hard to get to where I was. It was just a different kind of fight. Um, so I, I wouldn't trade it in. I'd learned a lot. I still have a lot to learn. There's still now days that I want to go back just to keep learning under grant, under um, the things that are going on at Wharton now i um, getting a little older, so not sure if that's what's going to be in the cards for me. But what's amazing is that there's now so many opportunities to do more continuing education for people like me that didn't have that opportunity at the time in school, um, which is just great. And so, yeah, I wouldn't change anything about my past at all. I um, learned a lot. It allows me to also mentor other students, other people in the this- This field to say, you know, it's okay. It's going to take some time. It's not a very, it's a very atypical career path. You're not going to go from entry level to manager to senior manager to VP to this or that. It's not like that in talent development. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit mushier. It's a little bit of um, twists and turns, not just straight up or down.
0: Yeah, and, and that needs to be really spoken and articulated clearly. And we're we're I'm going to get into the thick of that when I've got questions because everyone needs to understand that the career path that you've created and gone on is a very, very innovative and new, super new role in an organization by many, yeah. many, many means. But so before we get into the head of talent at Saxby's, when you, were, you, know, you went right out of college to KPMG, that's a 200,000-plus employee organization. It seemed like you were doing con- – Consulting in the capacity of what your focus was in school. But what was it like working for a, a megalith, monstrous organization after ha- while having those thoughts about how important pe- the people are?
1: Yeah, so KPMG is an amazing organization. I recommend it to so many people. Their culture and what they're doing, being such a massive organization, is remarkable. They're still not small at heart, but they care about their people at their heart. So I have nothing but wonderful memories of my time at KPMG. I was just in another situation where I was in the People and Change um, department, which at the time, now it's 2012, almost 2013, was only 100 people nationwide. Um, it was centered in Chicago. Wow. It was part of their management consulting practice. They had never hired at the time anyone directly from college into the practice because not many people had a study of organizational behavior under their belt because it took time to find that kind of career path. So I went into the practice and I was actually hired by the head, by the people development partner. Sorry, people and change partner in Philadelphia who had said, you know what, I want to bring you on. I want to grow the practice. I want you to consult, but I also want to grow more business development, grow the practice in Philadelphia area. We, you know, now that I'm a partner here in Philly, really want to bring you on grow the practice in Philly because the practice was primarily in Chicago was where it was based. It had about, you know, 50, 60 people there. And then, you know, the rest were kind of spread out across and I was like, wow, that's cool. Why not? It's a little bit of external, it's a little bit of consulting travel. It's a little bit of consulting in Philly, Let's do it. Um, so I went there and actually on my, they, they send you to training for two weeks in Florida, which was amazing. The second week I hopped on my first people in change all hands call and the head of the practice said, you know, unfortunately we are going to be losing our Philadelphia area partner and people in change. His last day is Friday. And I was like, huh? Interesting. I'm in Florida right now. He just quit. And I have no idea what it means for my career. I'm in my second week of this company. Um, so a lot of confusion and, and kind of fast forward, the practice never really got to grow in Philly because they never replaced his role. Um, there was some in Short Hills, New Jersey. There was New York practice, but nothing in Philly still. So it was kind of tough. I was placed on clients that were just sort of OD focused, not strictly not. Um, I was placed on one that did an HR back office function. Um, and I was again entry level. So just kind of taking notes, paying attention, learning, which was great. But then I would be moved to another client that was, um, like not very OD focused or people focused. It was kind of just like, we need somebody to do this. And it's not really specific to anything, but you seem like you could be good at this. And then I would put on that client. Um, and the world of consulting is a really hard market. Um, you have to be billable. You have to find the right client. The client has to like you, um, which when I did get placed on a People and Change client, they were very much like, ooh, we don't want you on site because people are panicking that you're going to fire them. And you're like, okay, wow. but that, that's not what it's about. So a lot of my clients would ask us to work virtually, which was cool. But I was 21 at the time. I was ready to travel. I wanted to enjoy you know, meeting new people. And I was still in my home. Um, and then some personal things happened, some family issues happened. So I actually took myself off the road and said, I'd be based in kind of the tri-state area, any clients there. Um, and then there weren't really any, um, my boss at the time was in Detroit. And so I would see her, I would talk to her. She was great, but I wouldn't really get that one-to-one manager developmental piece of it. Um, so ultimately, it was just kind of one of those situations of bad timing, the partner left, things were a lot different than what was promised, and I left about a year and a half later. Again, on great terms, I love KPMG. My dear friend, who was kind of my buddy, is still there, and we, you know, has, has made my career even better through other ways. Um, so I, I had nothing but respect for KPMG. It was just one of those situations where I was young. They, the practice was young. We had no partner. Um, And that's why I ultimately left and said, you know what, let's try internal organizational behavior at Independence Blue Cross. And that's where I was for two years before SACMI. Wow.
0: So KPMG, you know, 200,000 plus people has 100 people working on this new project that mirror to that. One of the top business schools in the whole world doesn't even have the curriculum to properly equip at the time to properly equip. An individual that has immense talent and immense interest in what literally has become a buzzword in 2019—the word culture—to the point where everyone wants to understand, but no one does. You were that that many years ahead of the curve, even before Adam Grant was was quote, you know, the Adam Grant.
1: He was writing give and take in my class. (laughs) Yeah, like it's,
0: it's, it's so. This is like getting in the back history annals of like where culture was developed as a movement in the world so 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 they basically didn't have the infrastructure for you to be able to seek seek right. the mentorship the training you would need to be an expert in organizational change basically so right. well, when i was i was preparing for for a conversation and i was looking at what you did at independence uh, blue cross and it looked like you were building you were training on different, uh, you know, everything from this emotional intelligence and so on. What was that experience like? Did you have mentorship there? Did you have to go from scratch and just build out this whole curriculum to start bringing people and raising their leadership abilities? Like what, and that's a profound, it looked like a profound experience.
1: So independence blue cross is probably again, next to where I am now, where I learned the most. Um, I had one of the best managers I've ever had, Um, Again, subject to my current manager right now, um, but I have one of the best managers. Um, She was the head of our practice. We sat within Independence University, which sat underneath HR. So we were sort of part of HR, but we were also a separate arm of it. Um, And so in the Independence University, there were five. It shifted a lot, but in the end, it was essentially um, five different departments. Um, Somebody that was responsible for developing training content, trainers, and then also this kind of practice where they would work really closely with um, client services, or sorry, um, customer service, and then we had some people that were related to HR in a way that would work with, like, general learning needs, and then there was us, and we were this practice that was small but mighty, we were three, we grew to four by the time I left, um, that was responsible for all organizational development and change management practice uh, initiatives or programs for any of our internal clients. So we would work closely with like the learning, um, people that were seeking out with their clients that was like, okay, they need this change management class. Can you work with them? But we also would work one on one with clients. So I was responsible for helping to develop. Um, along with our content developers, our emotional intelligence course, our DISC program, as well as our change management program. So my boss spearheaded all three of those programs, and we were able to kind of help provide our guidance and feedback, and then we became certified trainers in them. Um, so we were responsible for leading those sessions, emotional intelligence, change management, and DISC. Actually, there was only three of us that could actually run DISC classes because we had been certified by a company that I actually still use today, um, actually at Taxi's. So we were responsible for working with the clients to decide if they needed any organizational development um, needs from building mission mission core value statements, which is what we did a lot of, to focus groups, to change initiatives, to, you know, anything pertaining to team building. That was all our department. So I worked really closely actually with the financial planning and analysis team um, and the VP there absolutely loved us. So I always said to my mom that I felt like I finally made it in my career when the VP of FP&A at the time called me and said, I need to figure out what more we can be doing for our team to build um, the culture up here and to build the team here. Can you come up to my office? So I would go up to his office and I would walk around the floor and we had just done our disc training, which is in terms of birds, which is like a whole nother, you know, that's like another day, another time conversation about personality (laughs) assessments in terms of birds. And there were these little cards that we had given them about their birds and they were up on cubicles and these birds were hanging on everyone's cubicles. And I walked upstairs and I was like, if I can get the financial team to put birds up on their doors and talk about their personalities and the FPMA head is calling me saying, let's come up with more stuff to do. Yeah, I, I've kind of made it in my career. This is a huge step for me. So I worked really closely with them to do charter building, like I said, mission core values building, team building initiatives, like taking them off-site and doing things, doing DISC, um, doing focus groups, doing um, analysis from those focus groups of whatever needed to come next. That was a lot of our starting points were the focus groups. And then I'd run these classes one-off of emotional intelligence for the entire company that was offered. There were about 20 people that would attend um, I was a trainer for that. And then um, just continued to find more work, whether it was meeting with the marketing head and saying, hey, what do you need for your team or meeting with, you know, any other group inside of that marketing product, um, accounting, any of them, say, insulated services, saying, you know, what can we do to help build your team up? And that was what our team was responsible for. And we were four people within a massive organization again, um, which was awesome. And that was amazing and learned so much about human behavior and people because they there right at the height of ACA and everyone's just, you know, nervous, panicked, confused, unsure, excited, all the emotions thrown into ACA that still today at the time was so new and just trying to figure it out. Um, but just like with every organization, they still have a, you know, P&L statement, they still have financial responsibilities, especially being government regulated. It was kind of difficult to keep spending the amount of money that needed to spend on their people. And at times it was getting tough to kind of meet the budgetary standards and what we were trying to do. Um, and it was just felt like there was going to be some, some big roadblocks ahead and some questions for myself about, you know, kind of where does my career go within a large organization like this? Um, which again was ultimately why I left independence was I wanted more growth. I wanted more opportunity. I wanted, I needed a culture that cared just as much about their success financially as they did about their people, not finance first, people second. So kind of going back to the basics of what Adam Grant said and that's how I ended up at Taxi.
0: Wow. So you, okay. So in the process of doing the work, doing the work that you loved and you studied you did, did, was there a moment in time a specific like day where you remember that was like I'm potentially misaligned with the the, the organization where like did you
1: and think you
0: know did you, um, you like I, I'm not in the right company not, that not as
1: misaligned not misaligned. just that there was going to be a lot of um just that there might not be as much of an impact, larger, large scale that I wanted. I was making huge impacts in the financial team, but, you know, meeting every need in the company and really growing this this idea and growing this practice, there were some limitations. Um, and I didn't feel that the growth for me personally, but also for the practice was going to be there because people were kind of like, ah, well, I can wait or like, oh, I'll just do this, you know, other it training that's around power. It, it wasn't. It wasn't necessarily a priority. It just wasn't. It wasn't a growth priority. It wasn't part of like, oh, we must do this. It wasn't a required thing. Um, it wasn't something like, oh, you must do this training because it's going to help you long term. It was kind of like, if you want to do it, you can, which is great at, at first when you're starting out, but not great long term. Yes, what I think that was see part of it. Is we like, it yeah.
0: What, what, what is it, what's? Is it negative? Like, what? Is, if it isn't something that is everyone knows they have to partake in it what did you learn occurs be, with human behavior? Like, being, you, you were there having to teach people, but they would or wouldn't show up or they'd be tuned in or tuned out. Like No,
1: they, if anything, they would show up and they'd want more. And the question was, okay, what more can we do? And then that's where the budgetary things came uh-huh. in. So we would say, okay, you should do this, this, and this. And they'd be like, okay. And then they'd be like, oh, but we don't have any more budget for it. You are like, okay, that's fine. Like, you know, we were the first budget line to get cut um, or the first budget uh-huh. aspect to get cut. Um, but that also, that was a part of it. But the other part was that we would go out and say like, oh, well, this is really important. You should do this. Like, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And then they would be like, well, you know, we got a few other things to do. We'll add you into the, the next year's plan. And the next year just kept happening and happening. And it also was, as, as a company, we had to figure out our reorg of what is this practice now is outgrowing growing fits into the larger thing. And I left for it before a lot of changes happened again um within the university and within HR. And actually my boss had left not too long after that, about six to nine months after I had left, um, and had gone on to another healthcare company or actually a hospital on the other side of things to do the same thing. But we had both felt like, you know, what is the real growth for this department, for this initiative as a whole within the company long term? And that was something that we had more question marks than answers to.
0: Yeah, no, that that's powerful. It makes a ton of sense when you're in an industry and in a career path that literally isn't accepted yet by the culture, the macro culture of business. And it's right. like that, that company didn't have it together in the time that it needed to, to keep someone that does get that. So I, my curiosity is how did you uh, find out about Saxby's and then why then? Cause at that point you can go anywhere because com- er, er, any, everyone is, is waking up to the fact that it's important to have people with your understanding of people in organizations. So why Saxby's it?
1: Yeah. So Saksies, um is and was at the time cared more about their people than anything else. So my founder and CEO, Nick Bayer, had built his entire career based off of people um, or built a company based off of people and started Saxi's and the coffee company, not because he liked coffee and the taste of it, but because he went into a coffee shop and enjoyed the interactions of people that he observed so he actually never really drank coffee, and then now, obviously, much different. Um, but at the time, he was more concerned with the interactions in the environment that a coffee shop provided and human connection than anything else. And that's why he started Taxis. And from there, you know, starting our experiential learning program and having opportunities for students to learn through experience through our program and f- focusing so much more on the people, both guest side and team member side it was a no-brainer to switch over. And I, you know, I always joke, I wasn't really looking for an opportunity at the time when I met Nick and I kind of heard his, we call it the Nick spiel, um, his spiel of the culture and about what it means and what culture means to him and the company history. Um, I wasn't really wow. looking. And I was at an event where he was speaking. I had known him before and I met him a couple of times, but I'd never heard his his spiel, um, spiel or whatever they call it. And, and he, I, my mouth was open again. So similarly, when I was with Grant to now, um, and I was like, wow, I, I need to talk to him. And so, you know, I do believe in timing is everything. Wasn't really looking, kind of just kept it in the back of my head, built a good, you know, connection with Nick, made sure he knew that, you know, if anything ever popped up, let me know. To so talk about coming full circle and networking and a whole nother aspect of that, my buddy or person at KPMG that had kind of was assigned to me in the Philadelphia office to show me around and kind of be there for me, even though he wasn't in consulting, he was in audit Sean Hand had said, um, had been a great friend still to this day, had reached out to me when I was at at Independence and had said, hey, I know you're friends with Nick, but, or I know you just heard him speak, but look, this job, you'd be perfect for it. And it was director of talent at Saksies. And it was like two weeks after I heard Nick speak. And I was like, that's really weird timing. Um, So I reached out to Nick and I said, you know, do you mind me throwing my hat in the ring to see about this position. I wasn't necessarily qualified, but I thought, you know, let me at least start the dialogue. So, you know, total PSA for females in the workplace, you know, do go after those opportunities that are too high for you. You think you're not good enough for because you probably are over-exaggerating wow. it. I know that whole topic area of that. And I'd gone into his office and we spent an hour talking and it was mostly, Nick and we joked about it the other day, it was just like all these ideas that he had about development and people and how we wanted to build out that area of it. And at the time we were seven to 10 people at our headquarters and about seven cafes we were very, very small. And, um, I was like, yeah, this sounds great. New projects, new things you need. Great. Let's do this. So we went through the interview process and they got me an offer, but had ended up not getting, you know, again, was not five years into my career was, you know two or three and had, or I guess four at the time. And we decided that, you know, manager level was the best level for me to come in at. So I was the manager of talent, then switched to manager of talent development because about six months in, Nick wanted me to do some recruiting and then also some development. And about six months in, six months in, he was like, "I need to full development. Our people need this. Our people, you know, we're doing a lot of great stuff. We need to keep doing that." So I switched um, or I moved over full time to talent development. That's when I switched to manager of talent development. And then earlier this year, um, moved over to head of talent development. And I'm the head of my own department. i was circling around development. Um, which is still you know, amazing. I'm a team of one, though, still. So we're still kind of small. Um, we're up to 20 cafes with 21 about to open up in a few weeks and have about you know, 800 team members across all of our cafes. We're growing, and our headquarters is now you know, 40 people, which is great. But we're still growing, and we're still kind of small. We'll never be the size of a Starbucks. We'll never be that, that big. We'll never be that small so mom and pop. We're kind of somewhere nice in the middle, and that's perfect for who we are, and our growth is perfect for that. Um, so yeah, that's how I ended up at Taxi. It's kind of like a happy accident, wow. timing is everything, connections, all of it kind of thrown into a big mix and how I ended up there about three years. It was over three years ago.
0: When you were in that speaking engagement in the audience, do you remember what what was it or what is his spiel? Like what What is the story that he tells?
1: Yeah, so I'm good at it now too because I get to live it. So I get to give the, the, the Ali Bassman but Nick Bayer off of spiel. So um, we're a hospitality company first, centered around great people. A Coffee is just kind of how we're fueled. Our coffee matters, our taste of it, all of that is important to us, but our people are most important, starting with our guests, starting with our team members. Um, we kind of flip the triangle of hierarchy upside down and say, you know, our people are the most important thing. All of us kind of work for them and how we can help make their lives better. So if you go in our space, we have a huge, beautiful industrial space um, at 23rd and Chestnut in the Philadelphia Design Building, and then on the wall of our building or on our floor right when you walk in, is our mission and core values. And they're not just words on the wall. They're everything that we do. Everything that we live by, we breathe by, we build, we in- initiate every project and pro- proposal process, anything is off of those core values and mission statement. Our mission is to make life better. And we have six core values associated with that and different ways of how we can do it. You know, examples of um, we live with pride, passion, purpose, because we do. Um, we embrace being ODD, odd Be you, be who you want to be, but also outgoing, detail-oriented, and disciplined. Three things that we can't teach but have to inherently come to who you are. Um, Community serving our community. One of my favorites, care personally, communicate openly. Um, Serve yourself by serving others. So all of our core values are around helping and motivating people to make life better. And when he went on about that, about how he started the company, about how he's growing the company, and we just started our experiential learning program at Drexel, I was like, wow. I don't need to tell people how important people, I don't need to tell the coming how important people are. It's the center of the business. So anything wow. I do is going to be supported and and, and grown and, and kind of, you know, continued on, which to this day is absolutely true. I've built many programs, initiatives that are re- woven into our culture that are still in existence today, starting with, you know, our complete new performance management system that, Started when I got there in my, you know, third month, I had to rebuild our entire performance man- or year-end review system and then continue on for a performance management system. And that, you know, is still in place today. We're about to go through the next, uh, the third cycle of it with me in charge um, right now. So that's pretty awesome that that continues. And I get to be spearheading that saying, okay, we should try it this way because A, it's more centered around our people and, and B, you know, it makes sense for us as an organization. And, and that's so true today.
0: When you first were introduced to Nick and first got even started working at the organization, did was there a phase where you didn't believe that or it sounded like it was too good to be true? Like, you still didn't believe, like, is this really serious? Because you had been working for other places, it seems like, where they weren't necessarily that involved, like he, like he sounds like he was. It's like, did it, did you have a phase where you didn't believe it? Like, is this guy really for real?
1: No, I, um, I knew Nick personally, and I knew, I knew who he was as a human and I knew that that's who he was. And he was not going to be one of those people that said things and didn't actually live up to it. I'd also experienced it myself in the cafes. If you go into any of our cafes, you'll see just a totally different environment, a totally different aspect than any other cafes around the city. I, in my opinion, at least might be a little biased, but you're going to see that hospitable, that warm, that welcoming, that, Hey, can I help you? Hey, have a great day. Hey, great scarf. Um, You might even be subject to an awesome guest interaction with one of our more um, regular guests where the, the CEO or cafe executive officer, the team is like, Hey, Bob, awesome to see you. How's your kids? How's the six dogs? You know, things like that. I literally watched it as a guest wow. at the time. And now as a team member, it, it's part of who we are. So I definitely not naive. I did my research. I made sure of it, but no, it wasn't too good to be true. And then our, our training and all that we do, you know, also continued on my day one. So, no, um, it definitely was not too good to be true. I I definitely wouldn't have jumped in, especially now at the time, having been in my career for four years, really ready to kind of find that next thing that was going to be more forever. I'm not one of those millennials, I guess, that people think that jump around jobs. I don't think millennials jump. I know that there's that kind of perceived notion of that. I was not one of them, but I also am an old soul in my heart and I really wanted to be, find my forever home. And I wanted to be somewhere somewhere that I knew that I could learn a lot, grow a lot, do a lot and make a huge impact. And that was all that really mattered to me. And that's why I ended up there. And I, I really felt it from the moment I heard Nick speak, from knowing him, from seeing the company and meeting all the people through my interview process. I mean, it was way different of an experience in corporate, but mind you, it's still scary. You go from being in corporate for four years to, hey, I'm going to take a huge leap faith, go entrepreneurial. A lot of things are different there. Huge net kind of taken out from underneath you. And, and you just kind of hope you make it work and you get figured out, but it was definitely an adjustment. Um, it took me about a year, probably to be like, we're not in a corporate setting. Um, But now I I couldn't imagine going back at all.
0: Wow. So I'm curious because in going to the millennial conversation, right? Like, well, uh, of, of course it would make sense that many people jump around if the whole world is looking for what you specifically provide, like within what your job is and what your company does, but your company is a cultural misnomer. It's like, way ahead of the curve it's like what the normal would be in 20 years of course millennials are jumping around because they want a home where they're treated at work like people are treated at 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 saxby's for example so what what is that like and and then how has that affected your your company's ability to maintain the talent that they have and attract people that are open and curious and interested in development so yeah like what has that been like
1: So um I agree I think millennials do get that bad reputation for jumping around because they're trying to find something that is, they are passionate about because that is what millennials want is they want to be in an environment where they're passionate and they like what they're doing. They're engaged. Now, mind you, everyone's tagging millennials as the the gore, the, the generation that wants that, which actually is not true because baby boomers, Gen Z, everyone wants that. They're just <laughs> yeah, a little bit more outspoken. No one, no. I read this article that was like, no baby boomer is going to be like, no, thank you, I don't want to be engaged and happy in my job. Put me in a job <laughs> that I hate. No. So I think millennials got this bad reputation of being like, I jump around until I find something I'm really happy in, and they got that bad reputation because they were more outspoken or more, they they really were driven to go find it, to follow their passion. So I think that that is the problem with how we tag millennials. I think that every person wants to find passion and enjoyment in what they're doing. I think every person deserves that. Um, That's a huge, My (laughs) one of my team members, if they ever listen to this, is going to be laughing at me because this is my tagline is, you need to follow your dreams and love what you do. So if you want to go do something a little bit more outrageous, a little bit more outside your comfort zone against the grain, but it's going to make you genuinely happy and it's going to make, you know, follow your dream, then you should go do it because that's what you're ultimately going to be happy. And you're going to spend years trying to find something or fit square pegs into round holes that aren't going to necessarily get you to that, that goal. If you don't really truly go after your passions. And I I say that to so many people and everyone laughs, but, it's corny, but true. Um, so I feel like millennials got that bad tag and, and it is what it is, but moving forward. So at fact, we have the unique ability that our culture is such a huge hiring tool for us. Um, we're able to bring in great talent because of our culture and what we're doing and the, the innovative mindset and the entrepreneurial feel that it is come in, come learn, come make mistakes, come grow from them, come do new things. Um, So our, from a development standpoint, we retain a lot of our talent to internally pipeline to bigger roles. So our student CEOs, for example, so our experiential learning program, cutting edge, amazing opportunity where students get to run their own cafes on campus exclusively for six months, getting paid, getting credit and getting bonus, Um, learning by taking, you know, what they're learning in the textbook into the actual real world of running their own business. They're responsible for multiple things that we kind of explain it in terms of three pillars. So team development, community leadership, and financial management. So they're running all the aspects of the business within those three pillars, and they're learning how to run a business. And we give them the keys and say, this is your business unit. How would you like to run it? We give them policies, procedures, guidelines, we also give them a ton of support. It's not like we're like, here's the key see in six months, bye. We're you know sitting there saying, mentoring them, guiding them, giving them feedback, helping them along the way, asking their advice, um, taking their thoughts, taking their feedback to us as well, and growing them as leaders. And so our student CEOs stay with us for six months is what we do for our you know, their leadership tenure. And then they have the opportunity, depending on whatever they're doing with school, if they're going back to school, they have the opportunity to stay on part-time in another leadership position, um, one of our specialist roles or one of our operational roles. So depending on kind of what's needed and what they're wanting to do, or if they're graduating, they get to stay on and continue running another business unit for us for a salaried full-time benefits position. So our CEOs, our cafe executive officers um, wow. Which some would refer to as cafe manager, a little bit more than that, they're running a business, um, are actually salaried benefits positions. So they have the opportunity to graduate with a full time offer. And so we have a huge retention rate for that right now. In fact, a lot of our, um, a few of our student CEOs from the last two rotations are actually in our cafes. There's one at 11th and Locust, there's one at Temple Fox. Um, we have a bunch all over that are staying with us and growing with us in that either part-time role or full-time role. Or if they do the part-time part part time role, they're staying on for that full-time role. So our pipeline of talent is getting great because we're spending the time to develop them. We're giving them the resources. We're teaching them. We're giving them an awesome culture for them to really grow in, which at this stage in their careers, why not? I wish I had that when I was in college to you know work six months and get credit and then also be able to, go continue on with the company and grow. Absolutely. So we have an awesome culture that allows us to do that. We also have people that are amazing that we hire because they're culturally aligned to what we're doing. And we also just have a great team that to support them at the same time.
0: Wow. So with the student, what do you call that program?
1: Our experiential learning program.
0: Experiential learning program. In essence, These are students that are going to the nearby colleges that have an opportunity to be a CEO a manager with much more responsibility, understanding and investment because of your training and guidance at an actual Saxby's location.
1: Yes. We have eight of them. um, Yep. And we have eight of them across different universities. We have one at Penn state. We have one at St. Joe's, LaSalle, Westchester, Drexel, two at Drexel. Um, We're opening up one at Bowie state university in Maryland. We're, so many, we're growing because of that amazing program and something that Nick is really focused on, really wants to continue driving because it's so important to what we're doing as a company and, and what we're able to provide um, for those students, giving them the opportunity to have a totally different experience in education and teaching them just in a totally different way, but also, you know, helping them continue to learn through what they've already learned before. So taking what they're learning in the textbook and applying it to real life.
0: Was that Where did that idea come from? Was that like Nick or in Satsby's just saying, hey, let's do something
1: to solve <laughs> came problems? Came from Nick again.
0: Genius idea.
1: Yeah, so it came came from Nick again. Um, he was he went to Cornell University, did not go to the hospitality school, um, actually was, we're still, we think he's a government relations major. We were questioning this, he was, <laughs> could not remember exactly. Um, and he was a professor um, in residence at Cornell and would drive up every once in a while to teach a class. And on those long drives back and forth from Cornell, he would think about how he could keep doing more at Saxbys and he would see his students in the classroom and realize that there was this gap. You know, they were learning all these things in the classroom, but there was no real opportunity for them to actually hands-on do it. And that's where he come up with the experiential learning program and then um, worked with John Fry, president of Drexel, who's an amazing, amazing entrepreneur man person in philadelphia that's just doing wonderful things um and really innovative and they work together and drexel um was our first experiential learning partner and that cafe is still in existence today at 34th and lancaster and that was the start of the program Um, and then we've grown it pretty big since then
0: wow so uh, at the saxby's location you you mentioned that when you were just a guest you would hear people that were regulars be treated a certain like uh, greeted by their name and whatnot. What what value, uh, what value or values of Saxby's kind of leads to that type of behavior? Because I, you had said some of the values earlier, but like what, yeah. what leads to that? That's
1: um, gosh, so many of them: embracing odd, you know, outgoing, detail oriented, discipline, serve yourself by serving others, being a community, serving our community. Um, opportunity i mean there's just so many we are wow. the, the team is just and and also just who we hire you know you're culturally aligned does not mean that you exactly are our culture you know we don't want to encourage group things but we are actually hiring people that want to do that that want to be hospitable so it's, it's our it's our mission so it's making life better that we hire people that's like that.
0: yeah how, how do you guys hiring? hire uh, talent that aligns with the value system
1: Yeah, so we, um, our interview process is what we are really kind of focused on. So, you know, quick application online, uh, multiple touch bases. So, we do a quick phone screen where we first get to know you, check your application, check kind of if you're still interested. We do an in person interview for every single one of our barista positions. So, we do not just hire. Based off the phone, we want to meet you, we want wow. to see you, we want to have a conversation with you. Um, so we hire based off of those interviews. So our right now it was actually at our headquarters, our recruiting team was doing all of that hiring. Since then we've started to bring in a lot of our leaders in the cafes to do their own interviewing, but they're still doing face-to-face interviews. So we do not just say, Okay, quick phone screen, quick application, you're in. We use any of those fancy apps that are like connect to what we're saying and see yeah. if it makes we are just in person, need to see you apply phone screen, let's talk in person, get to know you and have an in-person interview. And then from there, it's our training. And our training, um, our first step when you're hired, you're actually hired as a host, um, where you are centered around learning our point of sale system and then working on doing some coffee brewing and some um, coffee products. But in those first few weeks of when you're starting with us and in the first training that you're doing, which is an in-person training... Um, you are learning about, it's called hospitality training. You're learning about hospitality and what it means to SACSies. And you're learning about the SACSies history and the culture and what it stands wow. for. So our first wow. level of training is not barista, learn how to see milk, learn how to pull shots, really cool skill to have. What does it mean to be a SACSies team member? And that's our hospitality training. And that sets us apart as well, in-person training, um, also some online training. So a mix of all that, but that's our first set of training as well. So our hiring, our training our, you know, cafe cultures, all of that kind of plays a huge role in that. But our, our hiring is a little bit different.
0: So instead of just hiring, and this is like, if we look at a, I'll say it, like a Starbucks, for example, you know, I, I don't believe that's the same company. It was when they actually had people sitting down and eating with uh, silverware that could be thrown. Or, or like it was like in the beginning, it was a whole experience based there in Italy. Like I read the books I, I don't feel that when I go to a local Starbucks anymore. Um, so, but, but at those other organizations, at other organizations or organizations that I've studied, they, 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 you don't have to go in for an in-person interview to have a barista job. So that already sounds like, whoa, okay. You, you're you making conscious steps to actually meet people and see uh, who are they really? Is that the point of that? To see who is this person really? And do they match up? Yeah,
1: and it. It's also to, like, get in like a human and have a conversation with them, uh, you know, to, to let them tell their story and to talk to them and to get to know them. Every human wants the ability to talk about themselves and to get to give their, their story and their conversation to anyone that will listen. So we're like, we'll listen. Tell us more. Who are you? Um, my first interview question always is, welcome, hello, great to meet you, really informal setting. Tell me about yourself. Not anything special, like, what do you like coffee? Where would you hear taxi? Tell me about yourself. Tell me who you are. Who are you as a human? Because that's what we're doing is we're treating you like a human. So I I can't ask you questions until I know who you are and you are a person. So I want to know who you are. And that question goes in so many different directions from I'm from da-da-da, I'm from here, here's my – like – it goes in so many different directions. And that's, I love interviewing and <laughs> everyone jokes because I could talk to walls. I literally could talk to walls for days. I love interviewing so I get to hear those stories and get to know those people. And the coolest part, I don't interview as much anymore. I work really closely with our, our um, interviewing or t- recruiting team, but I don't do as many brief little interviews as well now that our leaders are hiring. Um, but I loved when I would hire somebody for one of the cafes and I get to watch them grow because I'd remember just sitting in that conversation with them and saying, wow this person's going to go far. And they would. And now our leaders get to do them and say, this person's going to go really far. And I get a call and they're like, they're now a ship leader. Oh my God, this is amazing. Your team is, this is great. And, and that's the cool part of it is that that first interview, we're getting to know you as a human and it doesn't stop there. It just continues. And now we have that baseline of who you are and how we can treat you and continue, you know, treating you how you need to be treated. And, and instead of just kind of imposing our style on you.
0: So you, you you flip the the switch in the interview and actually get to the core of who they are as a person. Yeah, has that because that why would you do life? it any other way? Well, it's a great. I love that <laughs> question. Uh, <they're>, <laughs> <laughs> love uh, that's why we do this. Conversations have these conversations to have. This podcast exist. It's like uh, two years ago. I said I need to learn how to listen. I don't listen to anyone that I know. And the interesting thing about that is after about 150 or 60 of these interviews that were like 180 plus, then I realized that I was only actually listening to the people I interviewed, but still no one actually physically that knew me in real life. Right. So, so what, when you started one-on-one in these conversations, having these human conversations, did that impact your life?
1: Yeah, of course. You meet some great people. You learn a lot. I still am learning from these people. I will, from any person that I meet or from any team member that we hire, I'm still learning. They'll teach me about something. Somebody shared a book in an interview the other week. I was like, gotta add that to my list. Like, You get to learn so much. Like, Why wouldn't we keep doing that? Um, So yeah, I am always learning and I get to meet some really cool people. I also get to work alongside some really cool people when I work in the cafes, which I do quite frequently. So I get to know our team members and I would not have it any other way. My job is responsible for developing our talent. And the only way to do that is to know them. I can't say you would be good at this next level because my gut tells me, I know you'll be good at it because I know you and I know your drive and I know what you want to do with your career. That's, that's why I do what I do is I get to build those human connections. I can't do my job without it. And, and I've learned that now and and how long my career has gone on and, everything I've learned from grant to KPMG to independence is I need to know these people to understand it. I need to understand people and what they need need to listen and to understand in order to do my job better. And that's, yeah, still the case now.
0: What, uh, as far as learning, you've been a student for, for years, is uh, reading nonfiction books, audio, taking classes. I saw you have a ton of certificates and courses you've done. Uh, on LinkedIn, all yeah. that. But like, what, what what do you like to learn about? What do you? Are, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I wish I was a better reader. I will say that. I wish I had more time to read. I love articles. I will read articles all day long. I will read short articles. Every day, I will probably do at least two or three a day First, books, bigger books. I'll read some big ones in like bigger spans of time. When I have some time off from work, I'm going to Florida in a few weeks. So I'll, I'll do it then. I'll do it over summer. I'll take some time to read um, over that span of time. But I um, I do enjoy some podcasts as I drive into work. I drive to work every day. So I get that. Um, as well as just, yeah, any opportunity to go to a conference, to sit in on a webinar, I will sign immediately up if it's around something I'm really interested in. Um, I'd rather do those quick, short learnings to get a, in a really big impact than spending years in a master's program, which is why I think I'm coming to that term if I'll probably do more certificates um, than I will anything else. Um, so I like those short, direct topics on... Things that matter to me to learn than spending, you know, a whole curriculum and whole months worth on. on what matters things. to what do do I am to learn? learner?
0: What matters to you to learn in a positioning and oh. studying organizational culture and people? And-
1: um, yeah, engagement and motivation is a huge thing for me right now. So, how to motivate your people? Not uh, yes, identifying what motivates them and empowers them, but how to continuously motivate them and empower them. That's a huge piece, right? How to get buy-in? How to get them to keep. Buying into what's going on and to keep finding those things to engage them and motivate them. So that's a huge thing. Motivation and empowerment and engagement is really big for me right now. Um, We're looking to launch a bigger engagement survey in 2020. So that's a huge focus for me. Um, Leadership in general, leaders, uh, feedback, huge thing for me. I believe in feedback, difference between feedback, coaching and development, all of that. Um, We're actually building out a continuing education lifelong learning program, we call it, where we teach workshops every month um, by some of our team members at HQ. It's free for team members to come. Um, Again, much smaller organization, so it's a totally different kind of continuing education program. And um, I teach the emotional intelligence class, a change management class. We're dealing with guest conflict today, and actually this week as our first one. Um, But I'm also going to build out a how to receive feedback, not how to give feedback. There's tons of that, but how to receive it um, is a huge part. So a lot about feedback. Um uh, mentorship, I run our mentor program, mentoring in general is a huge passion of mine, something I'm very, very passionate about as a just professional and I've always done in my career. And I'd actually say some communication stuff as well. I'm still learning to communicate every single day. Um, in any single way. And the final thing, my favorite things are personality assessments. I love them. I love DISC. I love the company we use for DISC taking flight. They're amazing. Um, so I do some of the readings with them um, around how to continuously use personality assessments and everything that we do, because I think it's important to know the person and who they are in order to, to work with them. There's a
0: few. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. So learning people's personalities, understand who they are, who you're speaking with, you said mentorship, leadership. Um, and that's interesting how to take feedback. Could you extrapolate mm-hmm. on that? Like, what, so people can grow faster or what's your perspective?
1: Yeah, just to listen to it. So people think, A, feedback is only negative. That's not true. It's negative or positive. But so in either way, if it's negative or positive feedback you're receiving, how to take it let it digest, let it simmer, and then use it. So (laughs) negative feedback, taking it, not instantly reacting, taking that 10 seconds to breathe, processing it, and finding ways to use it because somebody's taking the time to give it to you. So take the time to listen. Um, And then same thing for good feedback. Cause I'll, I'll get really good feedback and I'll be like, Okay. Wait. What do I wait? What do I do with that now? So taking the time to be really reflective, and that's a lot of you know receiving it. So giving it is you know anyone needs to work on that. I think every single person, myself included, needs to work on feedback. There's so much reading and writing and so much stuff on there um, about giving feedback, but receiving it is this whole other aspect that gets forgotten and not just pertaining to leaders, <laughs> every person needs to know how to receive feedback. And as you know, one of our core values is care personally, communicate openly. We need to care personally, communicate openly, but we also need to listen to that. And how do we do that? So that's, that's why I love that whole topic of, you know, receiving feedback and how to do that.
0: Yeah, no, it's so powerful. Um, this year 2019, what is the number one thing that you learned?
1: Oh, wow. Um, Ooh, in my career, or about myself?
0: Yourself first.
1: <laughs> um, I, ooh, that's a big one. You didn't give me this before, so let me think. Um, I've learned a lot about myself. I would say the one thing I've really learned about myself, and my boss is, is going to laugh on this, is that I need to be more patient with the journey and not just trying to get to the end successful result. So I love building new programs and processes, and I will never just do it over months at a time. I try to do it like as fast as possible and get an initiative and get it out and get people involved in it and, and da 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 So I've learned to be a little bit more patient with the journey and that, that you know, the best processes and programs take, a little bit longer, and that you're not going to do it all in one sitting. I've tried to build out an entire recognition program in one sitting in one month, and my boss was like, let's just take some time (laughs) to think about this. So um, being more patient with the journey, being more patient with myself, um, and being more gentle with myself. I have very high expectations. I'm sure you hear this all the time, very high expectations for myself in multiple facets of my life. So being a little bit more gentle, and again, being more okay with the journey of learning and myself and learning and, you know, patients in general to reach that end goal? Because you do. Um, one of the biggest things in development is that it takes time. It's not going to be, you give somebody feedback, they grow, they continue to grow. It's a dance, it's forward, it's back, it's up and down. It takes time. Somebody's going to make a mistake. You've got to learn from that. How do they grow from that? So the development of our team members and the pipeline we've built, I've been there three years, is now really starting to form our development of talent. So that now has taken time to still remember that it does take time to be patient with the, with the journey and the process. So I think that's probably the biggest thing is, is patience with myself and the journey of whatever we're doing. And it will get there. It really will. I know that now, but it's hard to be like, Ooh, I want to do this all right now in one sitting Um, and be really successful and have all, all this great, you know, feedback and, and all this. And it it takes time and and, and it's the best programs really do.
0: Have you, when you, now you've seen this, these, these, these results concrete in themselves and the people's they're shifting their behavior after these years, when you may have thought it, you would have wanted it sooner. Has that been a paradigm shift for you?
1: Yeah, I think also just just going rolling with the punches and, and taking those setbacks in stride, and and realizing that it's going to take some some steps forward and some steps back to get there. So yeah, I, I would say yeah.
0: Let's say that someone's listening to this and they have no idea. The first thing to do—they're—they're they're in a leadership position, though. So they may not have a, a role like head of talent development, but they're in a leadership position. They don't know what the first thing to do is. What's your one? You know, step one, two, three, four of where they start when it comes to getting people empowered, engaged, and developing forward to something.
1: Oh, ask your people. Don't try to do it yourself. If you're a leader in an organization trying to figure out how to build your culture, figure out what you're trying to do, ask your people. First of all, it's easy. Second of all, it's going to be the most information that you're ever going to get. You can read a book. You can read, listen to podcasts. That's all the, the kind of the next step. But you need that information first and just listen to your people. Ask them, point blank, what do you want? what's going on. I've asked our team members so many times. I actually just did in a few weeks ago, or today. You know, If we were to build out a new program, what would you like to see? A recognition program, a continuing education program, a team building program. What do you want? Because we'll help you do that. Now, maybe we're not going to... And, and be open with the fact that you are not going to be able to deliver 100% on what they want, but that you're going to try your best to, to do to do something and to make a change. So... Listen to your people, ask the questions. Um, If you're a leader just trying to learn more about your organization, then just talk to people around you and take the time to listen. Um, And then from there, you know, do your research. Hear what people are saying. Don't promise anything. Don't implement anything. But do your research. Look around. See what other organizations are doing. You know, look at some of the biggest companies in the world that are successful. Amazon, there's a great book, Work Rules. Take a look at that go to adam grant's website i'm such a nerd on that but definitely reading book give and take it's my bible it is literally on my nightstand all the time and i refer to it all the time to say how can we make more givers in our organization than takers do the research second, but first you're going to know where to even start. You can do, there's so many books out there now, to your point, it's such a buzzword, it's so popular. Almost to a default is that it's so overwhelming to figure out which part of OD and culture you want to focus in. So just start asking those questions and then let the, the kind of research go from there. What do your people want? And then what can you kind of start to implement? And then do two things at once, which is implement some little hanging fruits. A mentor program does not take that much to get up and running. Um, it was one of our easier programs to get up and running. Whereas you may want to do a recognition program that we're still implementing. So just do small pieces to get to that bigger program, but do the low hanging fruit and the small wins as much as you can first. And not first, at the same time, also try to do those bigger programs and start to make strides towards that. Make, you know, launch a program and make improvements. That's great. Um, You're not going to, the program you're going to launch day one is not going to be the same program you're going to have in three years. Um, so I, I, think that those are some, some quick steps and some easy actionable things. The first, just talking to your people and hearing what they want.
0: Wow. Yeah. that so start with listening, asking questions, finding out where the people are, as you build out some type of program initiatives to get people moving and energy going in the organization while you're learning.
1: Yeah. And along the line, reflect on yourself as a leader. Are you able to deliver on these things or do you and are you do you believe in them? Or do you need to kind of shift your perspective and maybe take an inner look on who you are as a leader? I mean, I think that's also part of this is that you've got to be receptive to this. You've got to be receptive to building a culture. You've got to build a culture based off of your people because you want to, not because books and podcasts and people are telling you to um, or you and I are telling them to. you got to inherently want it. And if you don't, then why not? And that's a good question to ask yourself. And then kind of go off of there. It doesn't have to be so soft and fluffy. We still care about our finances. We still care about our profit and loss statement. That third pillar in our experiential learning program is financial management. Like that's still important. Absolutely. But are you able to kind of balance that out with your people? Are your people anywhere on the board? And if not, why not? And the answer, the simple the answer could be as simple as I didn't know it was possible. And then there's there's the door to open up to kind of guide you through that path. But it could also be like, I don't care. And if you don't care, then that's a big concern and that's something you've got to kind of really look internally on as a leader and say why.
0: Allie, everything that you've learned over the last few years doing doing this in all different levels of education and all different levels of companies. Go all the way back to your struggling to find your way in school. This before any of this really ingenious stuff was cool and brilliant. Go back, <laughs> you're deciding are what's next? Are you going to do events anyway? Not to say you'd break your parents, right? But, <laughs> but or are you going to move forward and figure it out another way? Everything that you've learned in the last so many years in real life learning and doing things, if you had a chance to have a conversation with yourself when you had to look and say, Am I gonna go to that guy Adam's class or am I just gonna forget this and give up? If you have a chance to have a conversation with yourself then, knowing what you know now, knowing everything you've learned, what do you tell an Allie freshman so, you know year of, of, of school?
1: Right before she goes to the class, if she's thinking about yeah. it, go. Go, learn everything you can, and don't stop. Um, and I would probably give you the same advice that I give now to anyone that I mentor or talk to or any students I talk to, which is solid dreams. Because I had supportive parents, they were amazing, but they had very, very clear ideas of what they wanted me to do or what they thought I should do. And I didn't have anyone telling me to follow my dreams. And to, it was okay to kind of challenge the status quo. And that's when then I found my advisor and I found Adam who said challenge it. Um, so I would tell her to follow her dreams and find the things that are going to make her passionate. And it's going to be a long journey. And it's, you know, now the thing that I learned the biggest this year, it's not going to be like, you'll learn it. You're done. You're good. Keep going. You're, it's going to be a journey and you're going to have a lot of setbacks and you're going to have to keep pushing I've had to push a lot in my career to keep moving forward initiatives and programs that were dear to me for our people. And I don't think that that's ever going to stop. And that's honestly fine. I want to keep pushing that because it is something I believe in. Um, so yeah, follow your dreams, go to that class, keep learning, keep pushing, um, any chance to learn more about people, keep doing it. I wish that I had done more learning and more, you know, any sort of classroom teaching or just in general to learn more.
0: Wow. Ali, thank you so much. your culture. Thanks
1: Jay, thanks for having me.
0: Your culture definitely matters. It was my pleasure, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening and we'll see you we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Culture Matters podcast. Remember to read the thing write to develop, listen to hear what is unsaid, and speak to let go. If you want to dig deeper, check out 30 Days of Thought on Amazon.